Hey, thanks for checking out this sermon. It's designed to help you take your next step with Jesus. And if you haven't been able to make it to one of our campuses and participate in the time of giving, you could do so online through our website or by texting to give so that you can continue to participate in the mission that God has given us. We hope that God speaks to you through this sermon. I have enjoyed teaching uh, the book of James, this letter that uh, this New Testament legend uh, wrote to the church. Uh, His letter circulated in the first century AD, but it's uncanny how these instructions uh, apply to our 21st century lives as this younger brother of Jesus has challenged our faith uh, with some pretty bold statements where he says, listen, don't tell me what you believe, show me what you believe. Now, um, James originally wrote to a church that was scattered throughout the Roman Empire. Uh, the Jewish authorities in Jerusalem had made it tough for the church to stay home. And so uh, most of the followers of the way now have scattered, and the Jerusalem church has kind of dwindled, uh, not in spiritual force, but definitely in size, as the people that are still there, including their pastor James, uh, are struggling more, hard to find jobs. Uh, They're kicked out of synagogue, kicked out of community, and they become definitely uh, the outsiders in their own city because they refuse to uh, stop following Jesus as Messiah, as Lord, and as the Son of God. So now, with this gathering, in every uh, urban center in the Roman Empire, you're going to find housefuls of Christians that have come uh, from Jerusalem and ended up settling in your city, Uh, but they're starting over as Immigrants, uh, many times they're having to learn a new language and definitely having to enter into the job market and into the community where you live now. And in some cases, the Christians uh, are persecuted just because they're different. And uh, uh, people are, are wondering, you know, what's wrong with these people? They're, they're worshiping a guy that was crucified on a Roman cross that they think is God. Well, if he was God, why did he allow the Romans to execute him? Don't we know that... Uh, Uh, The government only executes criminals. And uh, so James writes this book of encouragement, and and it's it's duplicated and sent throughout uh, the empire, and they open it up, and here's what they hear him saying. Verse 2, chapter 1, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. So let perseverance finish its work, so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So basically, James opens a letter saying, hey, I heard you guys are going through some hard times. That's fantastic. Uh, so happy for you. You know, God bless you, brother. You're being blessed. 
and hang in there. And I don't know about you, but if I'm going through a hard time and a, a, a snappy little Christian comes up to me with a bluebird on their shoulder just whistling a merry tune and telling me that I should be happy that I'm going through this tough time, you know, I just want to punch him in the face in Jesus' name. Uh, you know what I mean? It's like, you're just blessed. You're just being blessed. You're just like, I'd like to bless you. Um, but you know, I have a feeling that the New Testament church didn't feel that way about James. They knew that this younger brother, Christ, had lived to see his own uh, big brother uh, executed. He had lived to see the persecution of Christians uh, and the martyrdom of some of his friends. And so they said, you know, he knows what he's talking about. So if he says that a trial is actually a blessing in disguise, then I'm going to, to lean into that. Now, I went back because we're finishing today, and uh, some of you have told us that when we opened with that, and that first, uh, you related very well to that because you were going through a trial. And maybe you still are eight weeks later. Uh, that uh, one man told me about uh, a work-related injury he suffered uh, in the months before we opened up the book of James, and he was going through his therapy, and workers' comp was helping, and so he was feeling hopeful, but he didn't get well, and his injuries have prohibited him from getting, uh, from, from, from getting another job, from moving forward, and now the, all the government aid has ended, and he, it's, it's him and Jesus trying to figure this thing out, and uh, he said, but as I leaned into what we were saying in the book of James, he says, I've, I've started to view it as Okay, so why is God allowing this? And maybe this, maybe there's something good happening here. And he says, no sooner that I started to think that way and pray that way, but he said, the Lord has led me through a, a pretty much an, a, a, an inventorying of my whole life purpose. And a, 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 he says, I think I'm, I don't know, I may, I'm changing careers, obviously, but I think it's going to have something more to do from this point on with uh, God repurposing me. Uh, for others, and he said he was. He said, "You know, I, I, I'm glad for this trial. It has strengthened my partnership uh, with God." Talked to another single woman, uh, divorced, raising the kids on her own, and uh, she said that this has caused her to uh, to to look at life and, and and say, "All right, in this in the stress of this life of trying to pay the bills, and I just dropped the kids off. Now I got to pick them up. In between, I'm trying to do my my job." Where's God in this? And she says, I've been finding God everywhere. And he is my provider. She even said, he's my husband. He's, he's filling in all the gaps uh, in, such, in a way. And she says, I, I, he has been doing that all along, but I was just feeling sorry for myself and kind of angry. And she said, this is causing me to, to see things a different way. And then one guy told me that he and his wife have been walking together through her second bout with ovarian cancer. And he said, yeah, it's been tough, Pastor, but he said, every weekend we're hearing from James and from the Holy Spirit, and she said, recently I heard, he said, I recently heard her telling a friend that she feels like this, this sickness has been a blessing, because he said she has found a strength inside of herself, and he said, not only that, we have been talking to each other, and he said, our marriage is as strong as it's ever been. He said, we're a team fighting this together. And he says, we feel that uh, it's that Ecclesiastes, that cord of three strands, and God is helping us. And once again, God has been helping us all along, but now that we're recognizing it, we're, we're, we're seeing this as simply an obstacle to overcome, a mountain to climb, 
And at the end of this thing, we're going to be better people and stronger uh, in our relationship with each other. So these have been some great conversations, and I'm sure there will be more. Uh, and I, I'll, I'll remind you, we would never wish a hard time on you. And if you do go through something, we'll try to not be that chirpy Christian, you know, with a nice little scripture card for you. Uh, but, but we will. We'd love to stand with you and listen to you and, and pray with you as you persevere. But you do have to persevere. You've got to see the, others, the other side of this, this thing. And James coaches you during this, this tough journey that you're in to whenever you can step back and try to get a view of where God is uh, in the picture and remember that he also has suffered. And since we serve a God who has suffered, uh, he knows how we feel and he knows uh, what you need and he knows how to turn this season that could have been the thing that buried you uh, into something that just makes you so much stronger at a time of intense uh, rewarding personal growth. And someday you'll look back and you'll be able to pause because you'll be at the top of this mountain that you've been climbing and you'll look back and you go, how did I get, how did I do this? And it's God's strength that's uh, helped you and you'll be another person that will testify to the presence of God in the believer's life during a tough trial. Um, a time when you were not comfortable. And you know, we never grow when we're comfortable. Uh, uh, when, we're, when life is easy, faith is not needed. Uh, you only get stronger in a storm. Uh, and some of you are in the middle of a storm. And we just, we want to tell you, um, many of us have been there. And we want to come around you and, and we want you to know that God is going to get you through this. And he's using the present harsh realities to develop you and prepare you. All right, so let's, let's hear some kind of an amen or something from those that God has brought completely through a trial as an encouragement to those that are in one. Who would say, I'm on the other side of this thing and what pastor's saying is true. And hang in there, hang in there. All right, so on to today's text. That was just the introduction. Uh, I know. Uh, chapter five, verse seven. Get your Bibles and your Bible apps open to the last chapter, verse seven. Now, James is going to return to the very same theme. Look at that. Be patient, he says, then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield his valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and the spring rains. You, too, be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. So James is going to liken us to farmers, and Jesus uh, has come in the first rain, and now we're waiting for him to come uh, in the second rain, and then will be uh, the great harvest. And you remember, James became a believer after Christ's resurrection, and, but before Jesus left the planet that day, when he took the disciples out, he would, after the resurrection, he was with them for around 40 days, and then they went out to the Mount of Olives, and he said his goodbyes, and he commissioned them, and then he ascended to heaven. And they're just standing there watching him, and these angels spoke to them and said, hey, uh, he's coming back. He'll be back, and he'll come in much, uh, uh, in the clouds like this. And so the early church, they believed that was going to happen any day now. And uh, so here we are, two millennial later, waiting 
for Christ to come back and justice to roll down and uh, the believers will be rewarded and, uh, and, and the next phase of our eternal life uh, will begin with the second coming of Christ. All right, so most of you know I grew up in church and I'm a pastor's kid and so I've been through several seasons when the second coming of Christ in the book of Revelation, that was the big hot topic in the church. Uh, when I was a boy, end time preachers made their living by going church to church with these week-long seminars, and they would uh, open up the tr- back of their vans or whatever and, and, and pull out this huge chart that they would roll across, all the way across the front of our stage with these uh, week-long seminars where night after night they would explain what was going to happen in the end days. The charts look something like these. There was a lot of different variations of them, but I, I pulled one up for you to see. Let's throw it up there. Uh, and so you would just sit there night after night, and the guy would walk back and forth with a pointer and say, and then this will happen, and then Gog and Magog, and then the beast, and then the, you know, and, and then the, the dragon. You know? And I don't really remember a whole lot of application of this, but I loved the visuals and the dragons and the, you know, it was, it was kind of scary, but also kind of cool. There's these four horsemen of the apocalypse and uh, just really dramatic. And then all across the bottom is the fires of hell. And so later, when uh, Mario and Luigi were going across the top in the video games, I was having flashbacks. And my grandchildren and children were like, what's wrong with you? And I'm like, because, you know, it's like, don't let them fall. Don't let them fall down to the fires of hell. Um, so that's my, that's why I had to see a psychiatrist. But anyway, uh, <laughs> later then, uh, when uh, I was a teenager, it flares back up. I mean, all this interest in the end times. But now they're producing these cheesy, full-length, end-time movies. Have any of you ever seen these movies? Uh, and I'm not talking about the ones with Kirk Cameron. I'm talking about the cheesy ones you could rent with that 16-millimeter projector, and your youth group would stay up and watch these things. And these movies were all designed to scare the living daylights out of all the church kids uh, that they might miss the rapture. And you don't want to be left behind. Uh, and uh, so these, these movies circulated. They're probably still out there uh, somewhere. Uh, and uh, if you didn't straighten up, you're going to be left behind. You'd wake up and your mom's shoes would be in the kitchen and she would be nowhere. She couldn't make you dinner ever again because you were left behind. And then somehow the government's out after you. Uh, but in the, then in the middle of all this, the Jesus movement, were, uh, and Maranatha was the big word. Lord, come quickly. And, and, uh, and most everybody during the, in the Jesus movement, they were talking about the end times and uh, the rapture and the great tribulation and the final judgment. People debated whether they would believe that the rapture, the second coming of Christ, was before the tribulation, the middle of the tribulation, the end of the tribulation, and there would be these heated arguments, you know, and scriptures. And, and the question was, you know, would Christians be spared this seven-year period uh, known in, as uh, the tribulation? And um, so there was that. And then when I'm an adult, uh, and Brenda and I are raising the boys, Tim LaHaye and Jerry Jenkins it said, we know how to make a lot of money. And they wrote 16 books in the Left Behind series. Uh, and very, it wasn't really about how great it was that Jesus was returning. It was how terrible your life will be uh, if you miss it. So don't miss it. But that was in the first book. You wouldn't even have to read the other 15 books. You could have just said, oh, I get it. Uh, but no, we had to involve Kirk Cameron, Nicolas Cage. And next thing you know, here's this emphasis on 
the, how the world is going to go into chaos. Okay, so I have no doubt that another wave of this will hit the church again. It's just too, I don't know, exciting or whatever. But my hope is that next time we'll get it right, and instead of all being scared about this, that we'll just celebrate the fact that Jesus is coming back for us. And, uh, and, and this world is not, getting, is not necessarily getting to be a better place to live. But Jesus doesn't want us to, to argue about, you know, hey, is he coming? when is he coming? It's just to say, don't worry about it. As a matter of fact, that's what he told the disciples in the book of John. Don't be troubled about this. Um, uh, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And when, I, when it's all ready, then I'm going to return. And when I return, I'm going to take you and you can always uh, be with me. No one knows when he'll return, and we may go through some tough times. Uh, but until then, like James says, we wait. We're like farmers waiting uh, for the final rain to, to fall on the crops, for the crops to grow. And just like the crops grow when we're waiting, uh, we also grow when we're, when we're waiting. And in the meantime, as the late Dallas Willard would say to all of his classes, eternity is now in session. Uh, and the idea being, don't, you're not, we're not waiting till heaven for, the kingdom, for us to go join the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God has come to earth. And that's why we pray the Lord's Prayer. What's that part? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done as it is in heaven. And that's, that's our prayer and that's our life is to bring heaven down to earth. And the number one way we bring heaven down to earth is not through our actions, but through our prayers. And James has been talking about actions, and now he's gonna close the book by saying, yeah, but for all the good stuff you're doing, don't forget to pray. Verse 13, chapter five. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up, and if they have sinned, they will be forgiven. So the most effective thing you will ever do is pray. If you're in trouble, pray, he says. If you have sinned, pray. If you're celebrating, pray. If you're sick, pray. The first and best response to every life circumstance is to Draw God into it. Now, he's already involved, but prayer recognizes his involvement and partners us with him. And it says, God, I recognize that you're here, and I've gotten myself into some trouble. You know all about it, so I need your help. Or God, I just want to say, times are great. I just got another promotion. And I just want to recognize that that's your blessing on my life. Or, or whatever's happening, God, I'm going through a tough time. And, and, and for some of us, that comes naturally. We automatically... Uh, recognize God in it, but for some of us, it seems like no matter how long we've been walking with the Lord, when anything changes, we don't think to pray. Uh, we do everything else. And then, after a while, oh yeah, uh, and we pray. So why is it so important for us to change that behavior and just stop and pray before doing anything else, especially when life changes? Well, I think for one reason and one reason alone. God's already out there in the future. He's in the future as much as he is in the present. So prayer transcends our past and deals with our present, but it also uh, takes us out there where we aren't there yet, and we, we call out into the fog 
of the future, and God's already there. And so when we don't do that, we're still, we're just kind of struggling along with everybody else. But when we do that and we hear God's voice, then we go, okay, I hear what he's saying. And number one, we're comforted. And number two, we learned, we, we figure out uh, the direction uh, of our lives because God dwells in the future. And he can speak to us from the future into what we're dealing with now, especially when we've got a decision to make. We've, we've hit a crossroads. And I love what Isaiah says to Israel about this. He says, your teacher will not hide himself from you. Whenever you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear this command behind you. This is the way. Walk in it. And so you're calling out to God into the future. I don't know what to do. And then all of a sudden you realize the voice is coming from here. He's all around. And the more you pray, the more you learn to recognize his voice. And people say, well, I don't know how to recognize the voice of God. Just talk to him more until you do recognize his voice. So that he doesn't need to, so you just go, that's the voice of God. And you learn to discern between wishful thinking and you telling yourself what you want to hear. And you, learn, and you say, well, how do I learn this? You learn it by doing. That's the only thing I can tell you. So if you don't know the voice of God yet, talk to him about that. And say, I don't know how, I don't know how to do what pastor said. I don't know how to, and, 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 and then you're going to hear a reassuring, you're going to get a reassuring feeling of him saying, I know you don't know. Talk to me more. Talk to me more. Sit with me more. And you're going to go, wait, was that, that was it. That was God's voice right there. I, that wasn't, okay, now what? Just keep moving forward, but keep talking to me. Everything, that's what James just said. In any life circumstance, talk to God, and you're going to start to recognize him conversationally. I had a funny thing happen to me day before yesterday. Um, not, not hilarious funny, but just really like weird, like how it happened. Okay, so I had to call this guy. And I had his business card, and on his card, he had these different numbers. And I was dialing and looking at the card. So I, the first three numbers I got were his cell number, but the last four numbers were his fax number. So I called this and this, and obviously I'm not getting the right number. But someone answers, hello, and I said, I said hi, is Tino there? And she said, who's Tino? And I go, Tino, I, I, I need him to, you know, we were talking about this and that. And she goes, is this Pastor Steve? <laughs> yeah, it was my friend Danielle. And I'm like, how did that happen? She goes, hi, what are you calling for? I go, I got the wrong number. She goes, no, you didn't. I go, yeah, I did. And God knows what you've been doing, Danielle, so knock it off. (laughs) But when we call out to the Lord, sometimes we even dial the wrong number and he gets through to us. and so, uh, and, and I was just thinking too, like, Brynn and I have uh, had some big decisions lately, especially in, in, uh, our parents are now asking us to give them advice. And that's the craziest thing when you, when you do, when your parents trust, you know, so it's, it's actually Brynn's mom and my mom uh, who have gone through some tough uh, seasons. And now Marietta is now adjusting to life without her husband of uh, over 60 years, and he went to be with the Lord, and we were involved in the decisions leading up to his care and, you know, life or death decisions, really. And then now uh, my mom and, and advising her how to deal with my dad now that he's in memory care and what we do there. And, um, you know, I don't know what to do. Uh, I've never done this before. 
And yet, I have, I have walked with the Lord, and I'm fortunately married a praying wife, and we do know how to seek the Lord, and we ask him specifically, and then we don't move forward until we both, we feel that peace and say, you know what I, you know what I think I'm going to tell your, uh, my mom is, and Brenda will say, that sounds good, let's, let's advise her in that way, let's pray in that way, and, uh, but we've learned that as we followed scriptures like this one in Isaiah, another one, uh, Proverbs, trust in the Lord with all your heart, don't lean on your own understanding, all the time, meditate on him, and then he's going to guide you on the right path. And, uh, and then look at verse 15 again, because he says an interesting thing. He's talking about healing. The prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. Then he says, if they have sinned, they will be forgiven. And what he's saying is that life's really complicated, and sin makes you emotionally, mentally, and sometimes physically sick. And so uh, in some cases when Jesus healed people, like you remember that time when those four guys brought their friend on a stretcher and they lowered him down in front of Jesus, uh, from, actually from up above, and, and Jesus is talking to this guy. The guy's paralyzed, and uh, he says to the guy, your sins are forgiven. And everybody said, why do you say that? The guy doesn't need his sins forgiven. He's paralyzed. He needs to be healed. And then Jesus healed the guy to show him and everyone else that he knew what he was talking about. But in this guy's case, Jesus could tell that something was attached even to this guy's physical ailment. Uh, we don't understand that. And, uh, but, Jesus said, but James says, when you're praying for somebody, God will even, while you're praying about this other thing, God will forgive their sins um, as well. And so I would just say this. If any of you that are here today have allowed sin, whether it's secret or whether someone else knows about it, to, to complicate your relationship with God, that's why you came to church today. And now you're sitting here and you can't leave like, oh, I gotta go to the bathroom because everybody knows why you're leaving. Um, uh, what you need to do is just go, I'm busted. I, I, Holy Spirit got me in church and now I need to confess these sins to God. And, uh, and that's what we do. And confession is so great because it unloads the burden and you start, instead of that sin naming you, you know, you're a sinner, you pull it out and you say, no, I'm going to name the sin and confess it for what it is. And so it doesn't name me anymore. My identity is in Christ. But I've been messing up lately. And let's just have a show of hands. Uh, how many? No, we don't even have, you don't have to do that. That was a joke. That was a weird joke. <laughs> but you do need to agree with God. That's what the word confess means. Con is with and fess means to speak, confess, to agree with God, to say the same thing that God is saying about how sin is messing up your life. And when you confess your sin, what happens is you've stopped blaming everyone else and you've stopped lying about it and hiding it. You've just said, nope, God just called that out and I'm going to agree with him. Uh, I'm going to verbalize what God has already said. Uh, and you know, I was reading, uh, someone pointed this scripture out in do you, know, do you know the Bible translation, the message? Uh, it was translated by this one guy, a guy that has gone to be with the Lord, Eugene Peterson. He rewrote the whole Bible in his own words, and here's how he retranslated James 5, 16. Confess your sins to each other so that you can live together whole and healed. That's pretty cool. That's a church. A church is a bunch of people who have confessed their sins not only to God, but even to each other in transparency and honesty. And now we live together whole and healed. And then he says, that, that is what promotes righteousness in your life. And the prayer of a person living right with God is something powerful to be reckoned with. 
If you want your prayers to get answered, stop sinning. Why is it so quiet? That was a really good point. You're not talking to me. Yes, I am, you buckethead. That's why you fit into this church. We're a bunch of saved sinners. But even Christians complicate their lives by including sin back into their life after they repented of it. So what we do as Christians is we remind ourselves, wait, wait, wait. I'm going to, to, for my own mental health, for my own emotional, spiritual health, even my own physical health, I'm going to let go of these sinful behaviors in my life, and I'm, going to, I'm actually going to confess that to another person. That's what James says, confess your sins to each other. Now, I think this is where the Catholic Church uh, has, it, has it one up on the Protestant Church, because the Catholic Church builds these little closets in their church where you go, and you meet with a priest, it's a confessional, and you tell another person what you did. Now, I don't know, those of you that grew up Catholic, if, you, if, if that was a cool thing for you, or if that just, you just, I don't know, because I wasn't Catholic. I do know that it appeals to me to go into church and for there to be somebody there that you could just talk to about what you did. And then at the end of it, the, 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 the priest in this situation reminds you that God is forgiving you. God has forgiven you. And, uh, uh, and I think James would take it further and say, it doesn't have to be a priest. It can just be, we can be a whole congregation of priests. That you don't have to <clears throat> go to a confessional and whisper it to a priest. You could have a Christian friend in your life that you trust where you say, hey, let's take our relationship to a level of transparency where I'm going to tell you stuff that I, you can't tell anybody else, but I need to talk to somebody about it, and I need to be reminded that God forgave me of this stuff, and, I need, and then I'll trust you to hold me accountable to, that I would live uh, a repentant life. Wouldn't that be great if our church, everyone in our church had at least one person like that that they could be transparent with? A church where you don't have to put on a fake act when you, when you get together, but you can just be yourself. And that's why I'm such a big fan of recovery groups. Uh, recovery groups is where you go to be transparent and fearlessly honest uh, with yourself. You can't go to recovery groups very long and lie because there's all these former liars sitting there listening to you. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, you know? And they're listening and going, yeah, he's full of it. <laughs> but the longer, the longer you're... You finally get it out where you go, you know what, I'm just going to say what really is. And so you can go to a recovery meeting, and you can just sit and listen if you want. And even that listening not only helps the, the person talking, but helps you. And then, uh, then someday you say, you know, I, I think it's time for me um, to talk. Now, the most famous recovery uh, organization in the world is what? AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, founded in the 1930s by a guy named Bill and a guy named Bob. Akron, Ohio, and, uh, and, and what's interesting about AA, it's become a very secular uh, movement, you know, it's talking about higher power and all that, but Bill and Bob, they, they got all of everything, they, every, all the 12 steps, everything they got, you can visit their, their house and see their bookshelves, it's all Bible, uh, they got the, all, the 12 steps from, and they'll tell you this in their history, they got it from the Sermon on the Mount, 1 Corinthians 13, and the book of James, and then Bill's the one that says James was our favorite. And the early clubs, the AA, we called them clubs. And he goes, they were called the James Clubs. 
because guys would get together and just quote James to each other. And he said that the, the, the principles mined from the New Testament formed the 12 steps and they've helped millions of people in recovery because uh, they encourage patience with yourself but also brutal honesty. And they require you owning what you did and, and making restitution to people for what you did. This is all biblical. And then you're depending on a higher power and then you being accountable to a sponsor and, 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 and you stop deceiving yourself uh, regarding addictions that are leading to your own um, death. And so the book of James makes a lot of sense to anyone that's in recovery. And it makes a lot of sense to all of us because you know what you find out? All of us are recovering from something. All of us are in recovery. And some of us are at different phases of that. But uh, this phase in this sermon is confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you can be healed. So that you can be healed. It's like the therapy is right there. The medicine is right there. But you have to take a step of confession before you... you it's like you, you, you could have... You could have full medical care, but never go to the doctor. And that's what it is for a lot of people, because they just don't, they don't want to enter into it, because it's a painful process. It's painful to come to grips with who you really are, instead of you would like what you would like people to think you are. But it's so healthy. But that's, the devil keeps us isolated right there, many of us. Because he doesn't want you to tell anybody your darkest secrets, and he doesn't want you to admit to yourself that some of what you do, you're doing should be considered sin. You're missing the mark in regards to, to what life could be for you if you would live a repentant lifestyle. So let me ask you a question. Is that okay? I already did, see? Now, question number two. Uh, <laughs> do you have anyone in your life that you could confess your sin to and trust them to, like a, another Christian, that you could trust them to, to hear it and to not give you a bunch of advice and not shame you and not be all shocked, uh, but to just go, all right, well, I'm really honored that you share that with me, and is there anything else? And for them to just take your confession. Do you have anyone in your life that could take your confession? That's powerful. Many, many Christians do not have one person in their life to take their confession. Now, you can just take it to God, of course. But James says, take it to each other. Your takeaway from this sermon is this. Find that friend. Find that friend. I remember years ago, a friend of mine approached me and he said, I, I want to tell you something that's kind of embarrassing. And I'm all, okay. He goes, you're not going to tell anybody. And I go, no. He goes, when I'm out of town and I'm in a hotel room on a sales call, I look at pornography till the wee hours in the morning. I go, okay. He looked at me like, do you think I'm an awful person? I go, no, I, I think you're a normal person. I think actually, I think you're a male. And he says, well, have you ever been tempted that way? I'll go, yeah. He goes, pastor. I go, oh, now you're doing it to me. <laughs> he didn't do that. Anyway, we developed a friendship where when he's out of town, he would say, hey, I'm getting ready to head out of town. I've got a four-day trip. All right. Call me if you need me. And sometimes I'd get a call. Hey, I'm back in the hotel room. I'm really being tempted. I said, well, call down to the front desk. They can turn that stuff off. I know, but I'm so tempted I haven't done that because I want to keep the door open. Why? Well, let's close that door. I go, why don't you, why don't you let's, let's do that. You want me to call for you? 
But we would talk and pray, and then he would, the next day, might, he might call me and go, hey, I, 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 that was awesome. I, I, did, I did well. Thanks, Steve. Now, do you think that I thought less of him for asking for my help? Do you think I was like, oh, what a, I need to get another friend. This guy's a sinner. Do you think that's how I felt? Do you? No. I was honored that he would trust me. And I never told anyone. He asked me not to tell my wife because he knew my wife and he didn't want to be embarrassed. And I left it up to him to talk to his wife. I didn't, I didn't talk to her. I left it up to him. Because I was his confessor. I was his confessor. I was, I was, I, he needed that. But, I, but I, as far as I know, he got and, and, and maintained a, a I'll have to call him now because it's been a long time. I want to ask him, how's that going? I've talked about you in the sermon. <laughs> you wouldn't know who he was. Okay, he's about five foot ten. No. Because you know what was cool is as his, I was being like an AA sponsor. And as his sponsor, as his Christian sponsor, I was leading him not only to confess but to repent. See, repent is such a beautiful word because it, it literally means to turn around. To turn around. I'm going this direction and I'm not going to go that direction anymore. I'm going to turn around. Uh, repentance is a spiritual process, but it's a very physical process as well. Often it means physically turning around. I'm going to turn around. I'm going I'm to go in a different direction. Find that friend. Now, until you find that friend, you can come to Cornerstone and... Any of our counselors, any of our pastors will take your confession and we'll pray with you. And you know what else we'll do? We'll remind you that you're forgiven of your sin. And we'll pray that the devil will not be allowed to accuse you. But it would be better if, if you could, let's, let's, let's keep working until all of us have a confessor friend. Okay, one more thought and then we're gonna go. Verse 19, this is how he closes. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this, Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover a multitude of sins. Wouldn't that be a great life mission that you're gonna go out and seek and save those that are lost? You're gonna be like Jesus. You're gonna leave the 99 and go find the one. Um, Lori Hubbard was one of those lost sheep. Exactly 10 years ago this Easter, 2009, Lori walked into this church for the first time. Uh, her daughter had come to faith and she wanted her mom to, to, to love Jesus, to know Jesus. And so she just kept working on her mom till Easter. They walked in and, in, and here was Lori, church. At the end of the service, uh, I gave an opportunity for people who wanted to come home from being a prodigal to stand up and come home and Lori stood up. I'd never met her before. She told me the story years later of how her daughter saved her life. I have a picture of them. Um, this is Lori and her daughter. And uh, her daughter is like her, her big sister in Christ. But Lori has become a big sister to so many of you. A lot of you don't know Lori, but she greeted you at the door and gave you one of those invite cards. She took the offering. She was right down here in this aisle taking the offering. At the end of the service, she'll come forward and be praying for people. Lori's a wonderful person. Jesus has made her wonderful. Hmm. A couple weeks ago, Lori and I got together for coffee, 
And we were just looking at the book of James and telling stories. And at the end, I, I showed her the text for this coming weekend, and she opened up her Bible. And this is what her Bible looks like. Her whole Bible looks like this. But, uh, and it's a little bit hard to read, but what she says there, uh, it's a note to her daughter and says, you never gave up on me. It's a note to Jesus and her daughter. And every time she gets here, she remembers 2009, Easter Sunday. It's a beautiful thought because some of you have someone on your heart that you need to invite to our Easter services. You can invite them to come next weekend because next weekend, Pastor Billy's gonna unpack the question, why did, did Jesus have to die on a cross? Then when you bring them back on Good Friday on all the campuses, there'll be a different preacher talking about the cross itself and the power of the cross and what Jesus endured for us. And once again, why? Then on Resurrection Weekend, I'm gonna talk about how God defeated death and why and what that means for our life here on the planet and what that means for our future. The powerful thought that God has defeated everything that's killing us in this life and in the life to come. And that we can have a great life here and now because the kingdom of God is now in session. What it takes is for you to get over that silly little fear you have of inviting someone to church. So we gave you those little cards and we want you to use them where you just walk across the room, walk across the street, or pick up the phone. The worst thing that could happen is the person would say, hey, we can't come, but thanks for the invitation. The best thing that could happen is that person would come and their life would be changed for eternity. I think that's worth the risk. Father, I pray for our church right now. For those that are confessing sin to you before we take communion. So that they can approach the bread and the cup with clean hands and a pure heart. Not that they've cleaned them, their own hands or their heart, but they've once again come to you and confessed their sin. Father, that we would be a repentant congregation, that we would be a transparent group with each other, that everyone would find a friend that acts in a priestly way to them to take their confession and to remind them that God has forgiven them. Lord, bind us all together. Don't let anyone in this congregation remain in isolation. Help us to see that confession makes us stronger and better. It's the wise thing to do. And a repentant lifestyle is the happiest lifestyle we could imagine. And as we enter into this time of communion, I pray that you would settle our hearts around the bread and the wine. In Christ's name, amen.